Well, good morning and welcome to our online service this morning. It's great to have you with us. I hope you've been keeping cool these last few days and I trust that you look forward to whatever 2022 may bring for you. Hopefully a good year for all of us, we pray, eh? Well, this this morning we begin a short three-week series on a, a classic book, a classic story from the Old Testament. If you've been around church life or or perhaps you've been through Sunday school, then you will no doubt be aware of this story. You will no doubt know this story because the story of Jonah, a prophet in the Old Testament, is well known. He's well known for a person who was swallowed by a large fish and then spat out. But other than that, well, not many people know the rest of the story. And uh, I wonder if you can remember anything else from the book yourself. Often the the story of Jonah is like a movie that we've watched. And, you know, we've watched it a few times and we we really like the movie, but we only ever remember one or two key significant scenes. Or it's like a piece of music going around and around in our head. We know the tune, we know the tune, and we may even know the words of the chorus, uh, but we just can't remember anything else or that sporting event that perhaps we've been to, or we, or we watched that sporting event that we remembered where the goal was kicked or the wicket was taken, but we can't remember the surrounding context. And the book of Jonah is a little bit like that. We remember this big fish. We remember him being spat out and, and living in the fish for three days and then being spat out on the beach, but nothing else around that. Uh, it, well, whatever it is, it, it's hard to remember. And so poor old Jonah is a, is a book like that, a book that is famous for the big, big fish story uh, but otherwise is forgotten about. And G. Campbell Morgan, a, a pastor in the early 20th century, comments about this book that people have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. And that is a tendency we might have ourselves. We may remember the significant and exciting aspect to this big fish but forget God's message within the context of the book. And so over the next three weeks we'll be working through uh, this, this story, this book of Jonah, get into the nitty gritty of its teaching and its meaning and I hope that it will be uh, an encouragement for you as you see God as the centre of this story. And this morning I want to cover all four chapters, give a bit of an overview of the book. Next week uh, we will hear from Sean who will be taking us through chapters 1 and 2 and then I'll be back the following week to cover chapters 3 and 4 in more depth and detail. But before we read the book together, which I I pray you'll you'll read along with me uh, in a moment's time, uh, let me give you a little bit of history and context uh, about this book. First, Jonah is a book that is four chapters long. It's not a long book. Not a long story, it takes about 10 minutes to read through. Uh, and, and it's a book that is placed in the final 12 chapters of the Old Testament, sorry, final 12 books of the Old Testament. Uh, and these books are considered the minor prophets, and so Jonah is considered one of the minor prophets. They're not minor because uh, their, their meaning or their importance is small, but rather it is because of the length of their books that they are considered minor prophets. And so this story is set in the 8th century BC 
uh, just before King Jeroboam takes on the throne in, in 793 to 753 BC. And you can read about his reign in 2 Kings chapter 14. But Nineveh, which is modern day Mosul in Iraq, is the most powerful nation going around at the time. It's the most powerful nation on earth, uh, or it's a city within the, the most powerful nation of Assyria uh, at the time. And they are a fierce and warring people. Uh, Tarshish, which is where Jonah seeks to flee to, is in the opposite direction. That is in Spain. That is as far away from God as one could get. And so debate surrounds a little bit of the historicity of this book. You know, some scholars since the 19th century have, be- have begun to believe that this is a tale or a myth or a parable even. However, that is most likely uh, false Uh, mainly because it's nothing like a parable and second, it's also long and detailed. There are are characters that are too lifelike. There is the use of real cities and real names and uh, in particular it is set at a time, in a time and a place, a particular time and a place. And Jesus even mentions Jonah uh, in Matthew 12 and Luke 11 uh, and speaks of its history, the history of Jonah through uh, those chapters and for these reasons I think this is a real person at a real time depicting real events with real characters like God and Jonah and the sailors and a fish and the Ninevites and the king of Nineveh and even a worm. Well, given that background I'd love for you to turn with me uh, for the next eight to ten minutes as we read through this story and then I'll go on and share a little of its teaching. So, the book of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call upon your God. Maybe he will, notice, maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what are your people? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and this great, that this great storm has come upon you. 
Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die or take this man's li- uh, for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished. From your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me forever, but you, Lord my God, brought me up, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah for a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, uh, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently upon the Lord. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the, destru- the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. 
There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry, I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though You did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight. It died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Well, this is the book and the story of Jonah, with an incredibly abrupt ending. But before we uh, go on to to see to hear a bit more of its its teaching, let's uh, bow together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We thank you for this story of Jonah, written so long ago, thousands and thousands of years ago. And Lord, may we not be uh, distracted into, into thinking more about this big fish, but rather may we see that this is a story about a great God, you, a God in whom we worship and are able to come to this morning uh, to hear from. So Lord, we pray that you will be with us as we delve deeper uh, into this book of Jonah. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Well, uh, I hope you you gathered from our reading the different characters and the way in which God worked his ways and worked his his power in the hearts and the lives of people there in our story this morning. And uh, I think there are three main themes that come out uh, to give a bit of an overview for us, three main themes that this uh, book speaks about. First, God has a mission Second, God uses his power. And third, God gives grace. Those are the three themes I'm just going to speak into a bit more this morning. So first, God has a mission. At the beginning of our story, the beginning of the book of Jonah, there is something very mission impossible about it. Uh, Very mission impossible about this book. You almost get the sense or get the vibe that God is saying, your mission, Jonah if you are willing to accept it, is to go and share my message to the Ninevites. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. And for Jonah, he is immediately given a task to do. He's given this task by God, his task. A task, should he choose to accept it, a task to go to preach to the people of Nineveh against their wickedness. And evil. Chapter 1 verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because it is, its wickedness has come up before me. 
And as we just read, we know that Jonah doesn't accept this mission. He doesn't accept the mission that God has for him. Instead, he flees from that mission and seeks to be as far away from God and from this task that he has been given, as far away from it as he can be. But then by chapter 3, we we get back on track. We get back on track because, well, he's gone through an incredible experience Uh, But God again reiterates what he wants Jonah to do, this mission that God has for him. Chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. This time Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city, it took three days to go through it. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And a point to note here is that God is looking to save those who are outside of his people, who are outside of Israel. For Jonah, these people, these Ninevites, are placed outside the people of God. They are placed outside the story of God. They are placed outside in terms, they are foreigners, they are outcasts. Uh, They are not true people of God, yet the mission of God is for these people. The mission of God that that he has given Jonah is actually quite extraordinary. For it's not expected that God would go outside his own people, that he would incorporate people outside the promised land to to bring them in to to become his own. Sure, the law or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they, they... extrapolate more of the laws of God and in there foreigners can be included into the people of God. And if you read the book of Ruth, for example, you see that Ruth is incorporated into the people of God. And so there are examples of that, but they're very few and far between, certainly not whole cities or or whole nations. And here there is a distinct concern, or God has a distinct concern, not only for his own people, but also for those who do not know him. And this reminds me of that parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. You may know that parable. Jesus talks about leaving the 99 and going after the one, the one sheep that is missing. And here God is wanting Jonah to leave what he knows, to leave his people, to leave uh, the people of God and go outside, go, to, go somewhere else so that he may share God's message with them to go and find his lost people. Well, this is a good reminder for us, isn't it? Often we might be so taken up with what we are involved in, with what we are doing in our own Christian community and context, whether it be the friends that we have, the church that we go to, our church, the the schooling that our kids are involved in or just the the cultural Christianity environment we might be immersed in uh, and that we might be a part of, that we may forget that God actually has a heart for people that are other than Christian. He has a heart for people that do not know him. And it takes effort and it takes intentionality to step outside our own environment, to step outside our own community, to step outside our own context and go and share the message of Jesus with them. 
here we are reminded that God has a mission. God has a mission. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 reminds us that we, have, we worship a God, that we have a God, that we follow a God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's heart is for all people to come to him, to know him, to worship him. And the mission of Jonah is a reminder of that. The mission of Jonah is really a missionary mission, one that seeks to see those who do not know God come to know him. And so God has a mission. But second, God uses his power. The second major theme of this book is the power of God and God uses his power in extraordinary ways. And he shows his power over the sea and the wind in chapter 1 verse 4. He also shows his power over the animals, over the fish who swallows Jonah in 1.17, spews him out on the beach in 2 verse 10. And perhaps the power is most clearly, remember the worm as well and the plant, God has power over the nature and the animals. But perhaps the power is most clearly shown through the, the uh, yeah, through exactly this, the growth of the plant and of the worm. He says even in chapter 4, 6 to 7, he says, Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head and, and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And the use of God's power shows not only his power but his sovereignty over the earth and over his creatures and over nature. And he uses this power to show his good purposes, to achieve his good purposes. He gives his word to Jonah in order that he might proclaim it to the people of Nineveh and in so doing call people to himself. At the beginning of chapter 1, And at the beginning of chapter 3, Jonah is given this message to preach. And and perhaps the shortest sermon ever, it's like eight words long I think. The the word of the Lord though, and this is what I want to focus on, it's the word of the Lord though that is given to Jonah and it is that word that is given to save. And that is a reminder of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved it is the power of God. God works his power through his word. So God uses his word to move the people's hearts, people's minds, and we find the people of Nineveh repenting of their wickedness and evil ways and turning to God. Chapter 3, verse 5 to 9, we read the result of Jonah's preaching, the result of Jonah's short sermon. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he made to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people 
and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone be called urgently to God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that, he will, that, so that we will not perish. And so the word of the Lord has been spoken. And Jonah has preached this, this sermon and proclaimed the word of God and through that the power of God is evident in the lives and in the city of Nineveh, in the response of the people. So God uses his power. And third, we find that God gives grace also. That's a, that's a third significant theme of our book this morning. God gives grace. We see this clearly as God gives grace in this story. And there's a mission that has been enacted. There's power of God being shown. But it is God's grace that is driving these things. And first, Jonah is given grace uh, after he runs away from God. That is our first instance of God's grace. God gives Jonah a fish that saves him. Saves him from drowning in the sea in 117, but also it is a fish, a, a miraculous event, uh, of course, that may well raise for us plenty of questions, but it is actually an act of grace towards Jonah. It saves him, it provides him with the ability to stay alive and also become a, a, aware of the way in which God is moving in his own life. We read that all in chapter 2, the words of Jonah. He becomes aware or, or, or perhaps a, a deeper understanding of God and his salvation that comes through him. And this grace is, shown, is further shown uh, to Jonah by enabling him uh, to, give, to, to, to again go, go about this mission that God has given him. So he's given it a second time. I think... Uh, he, you know, it'd be so easy, wouldn't it, for, for God to perhaps bring some other character who's more enthusiastic about actually doing God's mission. You know, that would be a, a bit more uh, a bit more understandable. Uh, but but grace is given to Jonah again because he gets to go and do this this mission, uh, or he's given this task a second time. And then at the end of the story, as Jonah sits angrily there uh, talking to God, he's angry at God because God has relented against the people of Nineveh, well there God provides this plant for the shade from the sun. There is another act of grace towards Jonah. And so God provides for Jonah's needs. God provides grace for Jonah despite the petulant ways in which he is acting. The other way God shows grace is, is moving away from Jonah himself is by relenting in sending calamity towards Nineveh. In, three, in chapter 3 verse 10 we read, When the gods saw that they did what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. You see, God's grace extended to the people of Nineveh, was extended to the people of Nineveh because they turned from their wicked ways. They recognised that God that Jonah was preaching about, that they heard from him, that they accepted, well, they accepted his message from Jonah. They took it 
on themselves and in doing so, they were given grace by God. The judgment and the outcome of their own wickedness and evil ways was not realised because God is a God of grace. A God of grace, a God of second and third and fourth and, and, and chances. His grace knows no bounds. And instead, in this instance, we see that God gives grace to the Ninevites. And Jonah knows this about God. We see that Jonah knows this about God. In fact, he seems to have known that that God is so gracious and so compassionate, he knew this even before he fled to Tarshish. He knew this as soon as he got the mission. He knew what was going to happen. And in chapter 4, verse 2, we see this. We read this. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? He hasn't even left yet. And he knows this. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Yet Jonah, Jonah is still angry at God. Angry because God does what he says. Angry because God is consistent with his character. Jonah realises that God's gracious character was was the outcome here. This was always going to happen. God was going to give them grace. And he's not pleased about it. He's not pleased about it at all. But he knows it to be true. And he knows that this is God and this is the character of God. It's the kind of petulant things we do to ourselves, don't we? We, When we know we are required to forgive, we know we are required to give grace. We know that we are to do this when someone repentantly says to us that they are sorry. We don't want to give grace and compassion. We don't want to give mercy because we're human and part of our nature is to wanting revenge or wanting justice or wanting fairness. We want that. We want the other person to to hurt like we hurt when we are hurt against. When this story of Jonah, Jonah's complaint is really against God. It's against God and why he has to be so gracious and so compassionate. Surely we aren't uh, expected to absorb the hurt and the pain and the difficulty that has been placed upon God. We want to be there to see justice being given to those who hurt us and cause us pain. But here God shows again his graciousness by relenting on the people and Jonah knew this was going to happen. And I'll confess I must be careful here. Forgiveness is not an easy or flippant task. Giving grace, giving compassion is not an easy or flippant task for us. So what I'm not advocating here is for the immediate acceptance and write-off of injustice. It's not what I'm advocating. Because depending on what occurs, and I'm thinking here particularly about situations of abuse or or domestic violence, 
But there are processes and there are responsibilities and there are outcomes for these behaviours. There are still ramifications for poor behaviour. But what I'm really trying to highlight here is the extravagant grace and the extravagant compassion and the extravagant mercy that God has for all people. That's what I really want to highlight. And it is this extravagance of grace and compassion that has an impact on the way in which we live, the way in which we dispense grace and compassion to others as well. That's got to have an impact. And if we take it back to the relationship with God, this is where it is flipped for us. You see, God gives us grace through the person of Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, we are given the grace of God. God uses his power upon our hearts and calls us to follow him in faith, to trust him, to have faith in him. He sends his spirit to you to, and uses his spirit uh, and uses his power to turn our hearts from hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, to open our eyes to see who he truly is, a gracious and compassionate God. And you see, fairly, then God sends us on a mission as well. Through his son Jesus, we have all been given a mission. It might be one, might be one we wish to run away from, uh, but, but he is there with us. The mission, should we accept it, is one of sharing the grace and compassion of God to others so that they might too know the grace and compassion God has for them and for their own life. Certainly something to ponder this morning.